0: for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately... This is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party.
1: This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is.
0: What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Wednesday, middle of the week, the greatest day of the entire week, and I truly mean that today. I mean, today is exceptional today is probably the greatest day that we've seen in a very very long time today my friends there is more good news being released than i've seen at one singular time in a very long time and i think we need to celebrate that today what do you say we'll do that on the show welcome into a broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in wichita kansas on our flagship radio station we are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today, your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day on the show. Bottom of the hour, Steve Gorman, uh, Gorin. He is the author of the book The Green Breakdown. We'll talk about alternative energies. We'll talk electric and oil and natural gas and nuclear. As George Bush liked to say back in the day, and we'll talk about uh where we're going with our energy grid moving forward. So I'll have some fun chats with him on what those alternative energies may look like and how they're destroying the nation. I know very triggering for some, but we'll have a deeper discussion about that in a little bit. First and foremost, though, can we just admit how awesome of a day today is? Let's just can we do this, please? Oh, what a beautiful day. Come on, sing it with me. I got a beautiful feel.
2: Going my
0: way. i kind of have to agree with the day like today let's get into what's trending shall we there's so many pieces of news to talk what's about
2: trending today all right
0: there's three different stories i want to focus on right now three stories that will brighten your day if you've not heard them yet three stories that will make you smile that will make your life glow that will make you happier than what you've ever seen in your entire life story number one with the breaking news of the day Is the announcement from none other than U.S. Senator Mitt Romney out of the great state of, what, Utah, where he will not be seeking re-election for his U.S. Senate seat. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you for just a second. We have a guy who moved all the way out there from Massachusetts after being the governor of Massachusetts, running for president of the United States. Failing kind of at both of them pretty miserably, and then working to go out to Utah in order to run for the Senate, where he won relatively easily. But yet, after one single term of six years, has said that he will not be running for re-election. And for that, I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, we have to give him the proper farewell here on the Voice of Reason. Bye, bye, bye. After making the announcement earlier today where he said that he doesn't want to work in government where we don't have proper leadership, according to MSN.com, quote, it's very difficult for the House to operate, from what I can tell. And the second reason is perhaps the most important. We're probably going to have either Trump or Biden as our next president. And Biden is unable to lead on important matters, and Trump is unwilling to lead on important matters. Hmm. Sounds like we've worn him down. Sounds like conservatives especially have been able to wear the guy down to where he's tired of fighting and banging his head against the wall. So, again, I salute you, my friend Mitt Romney. Adios, Sirenara, and... Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Because we need to get him out anyways. He's been a thorn in the side of Republicans for a very long time. I'll never forget when he tried to run for president back in 2008 when John McCain got that nomination. And he was talking about how he was the next Ronald Reagan because of how awesomely conservative he was While, by the way, defending his whole universal health care program for the state of Massachusetts and talking about some big government programs like he liked it to do. And we could tell his unpopularity when he ran for president and got the nomination in 2012 against Barack Obama and had one of the lowest Republican voter turnouts that we've seen in a very, very long time, showing the unenthusiasm for this individual. And yet he still wanted to make his voice heard to fight the Donald Trump while he was in Washington, D.C., making him a U.S. Senator. But one term, in and out, boom, done, over. We'll see you later, Mitt Romney. Story number two. And I don't know which one to do up yet because we want to focus some decent time on both of these. But let's go ahead and do the fun one for number two, shall we? Finally, my friends, we are seeing the weird news of the day come to fruition. Weird news of the day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You knew I was going to cover it. Come on, man, right? You didn't think I would just miss out on this story. But... Allegedly, supposedly, theoretically, there are um, bodies that are being revealed to the public in Mexico, where according to government officials, they held a press briefing yesterday with government officials in the Congress of Mexico with ufologists and experts from the University of Mexico saying that they have 60 extraterrestrial bodies in their possession that they found that were in a burial site in a cave from just roughly 1,800 to 2,000 years ago that they have done DNA tests on. They say 30% of the DNA they do not recognize nor know anything about, that these things are ranging anywhere between 28 inches tall and 5 foot 8 inches tall and that they are now in the possession of government officials as they officially released these bodies in a glass presentation case to the Congress of Mexico yesterday, saying that because the United States is finally on board with talking about the issue, the government of Mexico wanted to be the very first government in the world to acknowledge the existence of extraterrestrials here on Earth, as they found more than 60 of these things, two of them were on display yesterday, of ET's, That they had found in Peru, actually, back in 2017, and they've been doing studies on these things. Now, here's the skeptical part for those that are like, wait a second, Andy, this does not sound quite right. And we're a little skeptical here. Totally okay. Totally okay. That apparently, this is coming from a guy by, and I'm going to slaughter it in the English translation of his name, Jamie something. He's a ufologist. He's been down there for years. Jamie Masson. As he's, uh, he has, he's. Let's just put it a sketchy history, and he's had some false reports of UFOs. He's had false reports of extraterrestrial encounters before, so he's not the most credible individual. That being said, he made his testimony under oath to the Congress of government, uh, the Mexican government, yesterday, last night, saying that uh, he swears up and down that these are legitimate, that they have multiple of these, and that for the past few years they have been doing these studies, the DNA study the blood samples, the x-rays, the scans of these bodies since 2017, and this is under oath that these are legitimate being presented to the Congress of Mexico. Whether you believe it or not, I am so glad and I am so happy that we're finally talking about this issue. Come on, we got to admit it, right? We can't turn away a story like that. That's amazing. And now we have one government acknowledging it. How long until our very own government acknowledges it as well? As I've said many times on this program, we already know. We already are aware. We're just waiting for you to admit it and to apologize for hiding it from us for so long. We can talk about the ramifications of this. We can talk about the faith-based or religious ramifications. We can talk about the government's response to what's going to happen here. But if this is true, we have just found bodies of ETs that are almost 2,000 years old that were buried in a... Uh, ceremonial practice and preserved in a cave in Peru from a very long time ago, proving that the existence of these things have been here on Earth for a very, very long time. Story number three, and probably the more political one that fits this show uh, more than the other ones. (laughs) So, I also heard this other story that I had to smile about, and this makes me really happy because... If this is the platform of the Republican Party moving into a 2024 presidential election, I will be completely okay. As Donald Trump has released more of his plan on his Trump Agenda 47. But you got to be honest. I mean, that's a pretty impressive name for a plan uh, in a presidential platform. Is Agenda Forty Seven? I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Don't act
1: like you're not impressed.
0: Yeah, I know, right? That's pretty. It, it got to be that's pretty impressive. If a president comes out with that plan, and that includes his plan for the Department of Education, that seems to go again to the wayside.
2: In addition, I am going to pursue, and we studied it very closely, and I was getting ready to do it, pull the trigger long-term goal, but now it's a short-term goal, of breaking up the Federal Department of Education and redistributing its functions to the states. I'm going to break it up soon, that'll be done quickly. I was ready to get it done. I was ready to get it done, then we had a bad election. But this is what must be done to save our country from destruction, all of these things. And remember this on having to do with education. Out of the top 40 countries, we're always at like the bottom of the list in terms of success per student. And yet I believe it's about three times and even sometimes four times more than the second, third and fourth country. So we spend three to four times more on educating a pupil. And yet we're at the bottom of the list. They're at the top of the list, and they spend much less money. So you know the system doesn't work. So breaking up the Department of Education is a very simple thing to do.
0: Boy, if that is, again, the Republican platform moving forward, then applause, my friends. Applause. And again, which is why, out of three major stories of the day, this is a great day for America today. This is a wonderful day in paradise, and we need to be celebrating because Mitt Romney is going to be gone. We're finally talking about the existence of ETs and Donald Trump plans to abolish the Department of Education. Overall, my friend, what do you think? On a scale of 1 to 10, I think that's uh, that's a good 9 or 10 right there on a day of positivity. Now, let's talk about this platform because, again, kudos to you on the PR master that you are, Donald Trump, with Agenda 47. Whether people like Donald Trump or no, not, you have to admit, he's pretty impressive when it comes to trying to PR and lay out a plan for individuals to support or not support. But he's come out with his 10-part education policy. Number one, respecting parents' rights in education. I think we can go along with something like that. Number two, empowering parents and school boards to fire the quote-unquote poor educators and principals. That is going to be a difficult one, but that sounds really great as well. And the reason I say it's going to be difficult is because we're really going to have to go, out and go after the teachers' unions and the tenured teachers and professors that feel like just because they've been there for a long time means that they have uh, protection and that they can't be fired no matter what their quality is That they put into the classroom. And if we do it as a uh, as a standard based, then some of them may be struggling. And then if we put that into a policy, we could see some turnover on education. Now, I want to preface that by saying that would definitely be one of the more challenging ones as well, not just because of the unions, but also because of the shortage we're seeing of teachers going into the field already. But on the other hand, maybe that would go back up if we actually give teachers free reign to teach the way they need to and we hold a certain standard to make sure they're hitting certain qualifications and making sure that their students are actually getting the proper education, not lowering the standard to make us look better, but actually raising everybody up in order to have a better education. I could see An opportunity there for us. Removing politics from education and focus on, quote, reading, writing, math, science, arithmetic, and other truly useful subjects. Oh, what a concept. Another trigger warning for Democrats. I'm sorry. Number four, teach love of the country as opposed to being skeptical and critical of its history. Bring back prayer to our schools. That's kind of a controversial conversation. Harden school safety. Support for school choice. Project-based learning to get students prepared for the workforce access to internships and work experience, and number 10, supporting school staff on career counseling and job placement assistance. All of these have been the master layout Republicans and conservatives have been crying for for a very long time in the education system. And that 10-step plan, this Agenda 47 from the Trump administration, is pretty impressive. And whether he's the nominee or not... I hope whatever Republicans out there or all the presidential nominees would take this platform, would mirror it, would piggyback on it, and if we focus on education, we could see a very bright future for this country moving forward. Lots more coming up. Stay
1: here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy
0: Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into a 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to us. Always a pleasure to have you with us. So we have some big news, really all across the board, but specifically for the election right now. Donald Trump's coming out with his Agenda 47. Now, the audio we just played about him talking about the abolishment of the Federal Department of Education, consolidating it to the state level. That was at a rally on Monday night this week. But he did release his plan a little bit earlier, like a few months ago, about what he wanted to do. Which, by the way, the left losing their minds over some of the plan that he has. Like a year-long party for the 250th anniversary of the nation that's coming up in, what, 2025, 2026? And he apparently has plans that if we get to that level, we're just going to do a year-long party. Three
2: years from (laughs) now, the United States will celebrate the biggest and most important milestone in our country's history. 250 years of American independence. What a great country. and We have to keep it that way. But that's why, as a nation, we should be preparing for a most spectacular birthday party we want to make it the best of all time here is my plan to give America's founding in 1776 the incredible anniversary it truly deserves on day one I will convene a White House task force called salute to America 250 it will be responsible for coordinating with state and local governments to ensure not just one day of celebration but an entire year of festivities across the Nation starting on Memorial Day 2025 and continuing through July 4th, 2026. Second, I will work with all 50 governors, Republican and Democrat alike, to create the Great American State Fair, a unique one-year exhibition featuring pavilions from all 50 states. It'll be something.
0: He goes on to talk about uh, different events as well with different like, Little League baseball games sanctioned by the government all over the state or all over the country and uh, other festivities. I, if that's what he wants to do, that's cool. And I think that's going to really rally a lot of people to finally hear some patriotism, some love for country, some nationalism, not white, white privilege or white nationalism, some other garbage that they try to talk about how evil it is, but actual nationalism, love for country. And I think that that type of positive, heartwarming message... That Americans are dying to hear right now, at least a large portion of the population's dying to hear right now, I think resonates really well. Now, is it kind of silly? It's kind of silly, but at the same time, it's kind of cool as well. How many times does a nation get to celebrate its 250th anniversary of freedom and in existence? Now, we can debate whether we're really truly free right now, but that's another conversation for another time. There was the poll at the end of last week that we had touched on about different gov- uh, different presidential administrations like the Reagan Library, the Obama Library, the Bush Foundation, this foundation, that foundation, all calling for a movement for bipartisanship. And they're really trying to do it as a way to discredit Donald Trump because he's so, quote-unquote, divisive and so dividing in the nation and so angry and only panders to one group, which is not true, but that's what they try to tell us. And they're pushing for this bipartisanship movement to, quote-unquote, save democracy. Now, under the platform that we just mentioned, whether it's just Donald Trump or whether it's all of the Republican candidates, hopefully it would be all of the Republican candidates for no matter who gets in to actually push for the abolishment of the Department of Education. And we could go as far as trying to abolish other ones, the Department of Energy, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of um, Housing and Urban Development, the Environmental Protection Agency. We could go on down the list of what really needs to just go away and poof, disappear that I really hope that this is the platform conservatives take. And if they do start taking this, we'll really start to weed out which Republicans believe in true conservative principles and which ones do not. And right now, I love the fact that we're calling on elected officials to not just try to rein them in, but to completely obliterate them, showing us the distrust that we actually have for government institutions right now. So that bipartisan group, I'm curious, if they're calling for bipartisanship, would they call for the dissolving of certain government agencies? Yeah. Ponder that one for a minute, because I bet you they're not. Which shows where they're at in this quote-unquote middle of the road where they want to continue on with the big government agenda as a moderate is position.
1: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy I don't know if I told you yet or not today,
0: but I'm kind of excited about all the news going on. It's actually a weird day in positive news, and we usually don't get those, so you got to take them when you can, right? (laughs) Got to enjoy it the best way you can. Welcome back into the program. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation, one radio listener at a time on our multiple radio stations all over the place, and TV live streaming, podcasting, however you hang out with us. We always love you to death. I want to shift gears a little bit outside of the Mitt Romney story, not running for re-election, outside of the ETs that were released in Mexico yesterday, outside of Donald Trump advocating for the abolishment of the Department of Education. All of it fantastic news. It makes us very, very happy. But let's shift gears a little bit because there is uh, some more cause for concern right now. As of right now, unfortunately, we're still under the reign of the Biden administration, and we're kind of going down... The wrong road in many different areas, but one in particular that gets us riled up in our latest in what's trending.
1: What's trending today?
0: As we look at the energy industry, I know that finally, finally, I'm here in Kansas where our flagship radio station is in Wichita. And finally, we're seeing days that are not triple digits. We're actually seeing 70 and 80 degree days. It's been foggy in the morning. The leaves have been changing. It's been like at 50 degrees at night. It makes me so happy. I get a tear to my eye. But it's not the extreme heat, and thank goodness, because the uh, electric grid apparently has been strained pretty dramatically. I know over the summer at some point the state of Texas had announced they had less than 2% of their energy reserves in their grid left, with so many people obviously using the AC because of the extreme heat. Why are we struggling to keep the power on? We're a first world nation. We're supposed to have this thing kind of figured out by now. And it seems like we're going in the backwards direction on this issue. To talk about some of that and so much more, happy to have on the program. He's a speaker, author, researcher on environmental issues and energy issues. He's also author of the book, The Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Happy to have on the program Steve Gorham. Steve, how are you, my friend?
1: Hey, Andy, I'm doing great. Great to join you.
0: Yeah, really happy to have you on the program. Why is it that we're a first world nation and it seems like now, We're seeing more brown and blackouts in certain parts of the country when it's really hot or really cold. I thought we'd have this issue figured out by now.
1: You'd think we would have. Um, A lot of headlines say this is because the climate is changing, of course. (laughs) But the change has been pretty small. Uh, Most people don't know. You know, I had a couple uh, young ladies call me up from UCLA, did a phone interview, so I started asking them questions. And I said, how much do you think temperatures have risen in the last century or so? One said 5 degrees Fahrenheit, another said 10. The answer really is in 140 years, only 1 degree Celsius or 2 degrees Fahrenheit. That's all we've had, Uh, very, very small. Yet, unfortunately, around the the country, including Texas, they've been putting in a lot of intermittent renewables. And uh, then when the wind doesn't blow or you get a cloudy day, then you end up with a shortage in, in power. And so it's become commonplace now for utilities to say, Well, we're having extreme weather. Um, Don't turn on any of your power. Don't plug in your electric vehicle Uh, instead of uh, designing systems that are are, uh, able to ride through this sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, with 110 degrees outside in many parts of the country, they're like, hey, you should probably set your AC at like 90 degrees so that way you don't strain the electric grid. While they're telling you to go buy an electric vehicle to put that on the electric grid at the same time that you're not supposed to put your AC at a comfortable temperature in your house, I find that kind of particular.
1: Yeah, the other thing listeners should know is that we're not really in particularly warm weather. If you look historically, uh, we've had warmer periods a uh, thousand years ago, when the Vikings settled Southwest Greenland. Uh, uh, Two thousand years ago, when the Roman soldiers in those little skirts conquered the Mediterranean. And at that time, they were growing olives in central in uh, central Germany. Four thousand years ago and eight thousand years ago, for multi-century periods, uh, proxies uh, that geologists use show us that it was warmer than today. As a matter of fact, the uh, the record temperature for Kansas was set back in uh, 1936, 121 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm calling from Illinois. Our record was set in 1954, and it was about 117. We haven't come close to that in in, as long as uh, in in many, many decades. So uh, it it is not really clear that uh, we're seeing things that are abnormally warm.
0: No, but yet they continue to scare us. In fact, the media tells us on a daily basis on, here's our tips to try and stay cool. Don't go outside for too long. Drink lots of water. Here's the signs of dehydration or, or heat illnesses. And they try and scare us by talking about how extreme these temperatures are. And yeah, it's hot. I don't like triple digits. In fact, I like it when it's about 30 degrees or negative 10 degrees. I'm more more comfortable in those levels. So I'm waiting for winter time very impatiently. But, you know, at the same time, we can survive 100-degree temperatures and be okay as long as you take common-sense protocol. Why the fear? Are they trying to push this agenda even though it's not peaking? Is it about the control? Is it about the naiveness of the people? Like, what's going on here?
1: Well, it makes for good, good news media stories as well. And, and these, are, these can be dangerous temperatures, and, and people can have problems with those, heat exhaustion, that sort of thing. But the idea that if we all drive electric cars, that that uh, will keep the temperatures down—I mean, that's the thing that's really goofy. Um, and you know, the other thing is that it's it, the evidence is overwhelming that warm climates, warm temperatures are better for society than cold temperatures. Um, for example, our uh, flu seasons are during the cold winter months. More people get flu, uh, get sick in the winter than they do in the summer. If you look at all nations for the COVID virus, everyone that I've checked so far, more people got COVID during the cold months than the warm months. Yeah. And there are also studies that show that in every nation on earth, uh, more people die during cold months than they do warm months in the summer. And then you have to ask well why do people retire to Florida, Texas, Arizona? Why don't they retire to Saskatchewan and uh, Alaska? <laughs> yeah. Don't they know our own US government tells us that warm climates are dangerous? How foolish they are. <laughs> so in well, agriculture
0: you know, too, I mean, isn't it? I mean, v- v- crops grow I'm sure a little bit better in warm humid climates than they do in dry cold climates.
1: Well, they do. You'd have a longer growing season. The other thing about, about global warming and the, the gentle warming we've had over the last 140 years, there's very little warming at the equator, almost nothing. Uh, in our area, there's there's a degree or, or, or maybe two degrees Fahrenheit. And up in the Arctic regions, it, it warms about three or four degrees Fahrenheit. When the Earth warms, you see more warming at the poles and almost none in the hot areas at the equator. And so what that means is uh, temperatures are actually better for people, and we get longer growing seasons and, uh, in the northern climate. So all of the evidence, all of the science shows that a little bit of warming is good for us. Nevertheless, we have... Uh, uh, people running around saying this is a catastrophe occurring and really not supported by the evidence.
0: Yeah, that, well, that is very true. They push a lot of agendas that aren't backed by evidence or facts, uh, which is hilarious as well. We're talking with Steve Gorham, author of the book Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure, which you can find online with all his information at stevegorum.com. Let's talk about this push for the alternative energies, this Green New Deal, this environmentalist push from uh, progressives and the Biden administration. Not only are we hearing about electric vehicles, which, again, let's strain the electric grid, let's get rid of gas-burning cars, let's get rid of gas stoves, apparently, in your restaurants and your homes, put everything on the electric grid, and then have the electric grid not be able to sustain it. Outside of that, we're also seeing this major push for... Uh, the windmills and for the solar panels and all these other alternatives, which I'm all for if someone wants to put solar panels on their home. Uh, farmers that obviously have used windmills for a very long time uh, for some type of energy. But is it efficient or sustainable to do on a mass level for entire communities right now?
1: Well, I mean, again, the big problem with all of this is is the forcing the mandates from governments to do all this thing. Uh, we are going to have a coming green breakdown. That's what my book is about. Uh, that mean, And that, that's going to mean for, and by the way, uh, what the world is striving for is a thing called net zero by the year 2050. And I shouldn't even say the world. I should say the wealthy nations of the world, uh, Europe, the United States, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, the idea is that by 2050, we would stop emitting carbon dioxide from our industry and our transportation. And that's, uh, that's emitted anytime you burn anything. Or we would capture whatever is emitted. And so the world is pushing for this, but this is this is more than a reach-out goal. This is a, a wish and a prayer, really. Um, what we are going to see is four big impacts. One is higher energy prices. Uh, wherever we put in wind and solar, we're going to have higher electricity prices. And by the way, that, that is occurring in Kansas right now. Second, we're going to have electricity blackouts. Uh, because uh, wind and solar don't work. And they're intermittent, and, and when you get real cold, real hot temperatures are not very good. We've already had blackouts in Oklahoma, Texas, and California in a big way. And We're going to have less freedom, as you mentioned. Uh, mandates to get rid of your gasoline car and, and buy an EV. Mandates to get rid of your gas appliances and replace them with electric. And the fourth big impact is we're going to have transnational energy shocks. Now, uh, Europe is is kind of at the tail end of one of those. Uh, they have uh, natural gas prices that are twice as high as two years ago, and their electricity bills are now three to four times as high as they were two years ago. Wow. And this is a green shock. This is because of the green energy p- policies. So this is eventually going to break down. People are going to demand a return to low-cost, reliable energy as as more and more of the, this, these uh, green policies pile on.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like you said, we're already seeing it. We're seeing our companies of Evergy and some of the other utility companies across the state of Kansas already asking for massive amounts of utility rate hikes, and it's for their upgrades in their system and for expansions here and there. While they're making millions of dollars, they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to just charge you like 15 bucks extra a month just on top of your regular bill because – we can, and it's unfortunate. Uh, Steve, we got to take a hard break here in a second, so hang on the line with us. When we come back, I want to continue this, but yep. I want to talk about some of the other alternatives, which I find kind of interesting and maybe worth looking into a little bit more outside of electric vehicles. There's a push, and actually, again, here in Kansas, where, where we're coming from, is a push for hydro vehicles, and hi, or, uh, or hydrogen vehicles, and building plants here to create hydrogen vehicles on a mass level. I have only heard about this recently, and we'll have to pick your brain on that, whether that's going to be an efficient alternative or not as well. Obviously, from what we've seen right now, it seems like that oil and gas are still the most efficient, most cost-efficient, most energy-usage-efficient on the way we operate. But what could the future look like moving forward in a rational way, not in a government way? More coming up. Stay here.
1: With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoos. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes
0: here on the program. Oh, how it flies by way too fast. And it's always wonderful to have you along for the ride today. We're hanging out talking about alternative energies, the future of energy, man. As we talk with speaker, author, researcher on environmental issues, author of the book Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure, highly recommend it. It's time for you to learn about what's going on with the green energy, what the motive is behind it, and what's really going on moving forward. Uh, Steve, as I teased going into the break there was some of the other alternatives that I was not even aware of that are kind of interesting here in Kansas, especially where, you know, I'm based out of we have a push for another type of alternative vehicle with the hydrogen where it just comes out as water on the back end of the car. Um, it sounds nice. It sounds like it's quote-unquote carbon neutral. Now, obviously, the resources it takes to build the vehicle may be a different conversation, just like the EVs where we're using a buttload of silver to try and build those. So you can see how well that's doing as we mine silver across the globe. But uh, hydrogen vehicles, what does that look like? And is that a plausible future as well?
1: Yeah, the biggest problem with hydrogen is the, is the fuel itself, not so much the vehicle. I think many vehicles can be, be converted pretty easily to burn hydrogen. problem with hydrogen is Well, A, it depends whether you're talking green hydrogen or hydrogen made from natural gas and coal. Uh, Hydrogen does not not exist freely in nature, uh, but it's not very expensive. Today, industrial hydrogen only costs about a dollar per kilogram. But 99% of the world's uh, annual production comes from natural gas using steam methane reforming or from coal. They do that in China mostly using coal gasification. But uh, the green advocates want you to make so-called green hydrogen. They want you to break down the water using electrolysis by running electricity through the water. And the big problem with that is that costs $5 a kilogram, five times as much as hydrogen from natural gas. Uh, just to produce a single kilogram of hydrogen requires about 50 to 55 kilowatt hours of electricity which is about double the daily power consumed in a home. Very, very expensive. Yeah. And so, so, uh, th- and so what's happening? Well, people are interested in hydrogen because our federal government is just funneling billions in cash for hydrogen out of the Inflation Reduction Act. They're talking about providing a tax subsidy of up to $3 per kilogram. <laughs> so, so the market price is one dollar per kilogram and they want to give a subsidy that is three times the market value of, of the product uh in the form of a tax uh you know, a tax uh deduction, a tax uh uh I should say what is it, credit. Yeah. Um so so that's what's going on here. But hydrogen is, is uh you know, it's it's not very dense. If if you have to truck it, you have to uh, put it at a very high pressure or very cold. Uh we don't have pipelines to carry it. California's tried to do this for about a decade, but they've only got like a dozen stations to to fuel hydrogen in the whole state. Uh, in Vancouver, they had some hydrogen buses they brought in for an Olympics ten years ago, but they got rid of them. They're too expensive. A train in Germany just switched over to be electric. They were going to be hydrogen, but but it's just too expensive. So there are many, many problems with the fuel. Um, we would really need some big uh, technological break. Uh, breakthroughs to get hydrogen to be cost-effective. Or we could produce it from natural gas, but then that, that defeats the the goal because uh, you don't save anything on greenhouse gas emissions if you make it out of natural gas. Exactly. What it sounds
0: like is what they could do to actually make it you know the whole circle of life thing is we actually continue to produce and manufacture the way we are and then the hydrogen that comes out of the smokestacks and everything else after production, we just recycle that into the use of the energy in the vehicles and then we use it. We're not wasting it. We're not polluting the air and then we turn it around and turn it into water at the end of the day when it comes out the exhaust.
1: (laughs) Well, you could do some of that. We actually do get a fair amount of water out of vehicles. If you, uh, the the gasoline that that comes out of the tailpipe of your car is, it has is some water and then some uh, carbon dioxide. There's very little nowadays uh, that is harmful. The the uh, the volatile organic compounds that used to come out of the tailpipe of your car are down 98% since 1980. It's really been a tremendous story that most people don't know about. So we've done a great job in reducing pollutants from power plants, from cars, and all sorts of things. But yeah. the big concern is this carbon dioxide, and that that's just goofy. CO2 is plant food; it's great for for the environment. <laughs> and yet, yet world, the world is spending the wealthy nations are spending a trillion dollars a year to try and eliminate it, and all that is going to break down in the next couple decades
0: yeah funny how that works we're just going to kill off the environment by producing something that actually the plants really enjoy and could really use a lot of it's funny and it's hysterical to see how loony they are on the other side for the mass control it is steve gorham you can visit him online dot com is the website the book is green breakdown the coming at renewable energy failure steve great information we love it my friend we got to get you back on the show again real soon
1: Thank you, Andy. Always at your service.
0: Hey, absolutely. We'll definitely get you back on again. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow. Lots of goodies to get to. Be our own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.